This is The Straight Dope, Episode 9, Training Plans. The last episode, I gave out my email and overnight received five nearly identical emails that went something along these lines to paraphrase them all. In the last few years, I've bought several rifles, several calibers, taken several classes, and don't seem to get any better. While one might provide a small bump and then another plateau, you can see that equipment provides some gains, classes provide generic instruction, but all they seem to do is cost a lot of money and not do a whole lot in return. Now I visited and saw kind of the same thing over the last few years and can understand where you're coming from, but... As someone who, for my whole life, has picked goals and gone after them, I can say that there are maybe one or two goals that I haven't been able to go after and achieve. One of those being Assassin's Way. And because it hasn't happened, it's, you know, an imaginary breakdown. But I would guess that if Assassin's Way happened today, I would win. And there would be somewhere between a 10 and 20% gap between me in first place and second place. Assuming that my understanding of that event is what it is, where you land navigate out to a point, perform a series of exercises, and continue that from Texas to Washington, taking single shots in random environments while carrying all of your equipment in an analog context. Anyway, you don't want to hear about me. You want to hear about how to set training goals. And in a generic context, training goals are pretty easy to accomplish. First, you have to have a clear goal and break down the skill sets that are required. Then you need to test those skill sets individually in terms of where you're at now. Measure them together to see how you perform when they're layered. Afterwards, you isolate and train each individually and figure out a percentage gap that needs to be bridged and measure those as you train towards your goal with a time frame in mind such that you can have realistic growth rates between now and that goal. In a generic context, you often hear runners saying that to increase mileage, the smart thing to do is to take your current mileage and add 10% per week. I think that's smart because it runs the risk of avoiding injuries. And with other things, like shooting, you can't expect to jump from your current performance level to the performance level of somebody that's winning a match overnight. That's just not going to happen. What you can do is break down the performance between where you are and where they are and set benchmarks to accomplish between now and some future assessment. You're better off setting those benchmarks and training on your own time frame because people can train more or fewer days per week. And so if you set a goal that's two months from now, you may not have a realistic time frame to have that per, that imaginary 10% per week uh, r- running concept applied towards the skill sets that you're using. Whereas if you say, 
yeah, I can do one pull-up, and the, the goal is to do 20, if you realize that you can add one every two weeks, then you can set a target date that you'll be able to accomplish that, after which you could sign up for you know a 20 pull-up contest. Anyway, once you get to about the 80% mark in almost every endeavor, things get a little bit more complicated. So if your goal is to be generally good, you'll be able to get to that 80% mark pretty quickly. Some people get there faster because to get there, you can get there a little bit faster by upgrading equipment or going out and doing more stuff. But that's not really a measure of you. That's a measure of your equipment. Once you get to the 80%, things start to change a little bit. In many disciplines, having a coach is vital. I know that the AMU employs coaches for their shooting team. And pretty much every competitive endeavor that's out there involves coaches. So to be at a high level in any discipline, it's not a bad idea to seek out a coach to help you. I've had coaches in several sports that I've competed in. And I've got family members that are high-level competitors who also have coaches. One of the differences that a coach versus going to take a generic class is going to do is they're going to figure out where you're at and how to lead you directly towards your goals rather than just giving you a general generic list of concepts to apply on your own. The funny thing is that those training concepts of picking those goals and plucking them off are probably the easier things to do because they're measurable. And something that's measurable, you can project and calculate on your own. Some of the harder things are separating your ego from your goal. And in that process, the mental toughness and the confidence that's required to go after your goals develops. First, your ego is going to control everything, and that's why so few are actually accomplishing goals. You have to separate the fact that you're training from today's performance and understand that there's a reason that you're sacrificing performance. And a lot of people that start to have a certain level of success aren't willing to compromise performance knowing that it's for a reason down the road. If you always win something, that you get wrapped up in the concept of I need to perform at the top and largely those people are unwilling to try something different even if it because it costs them even if down the road it'll gain them more success people have performed at the highest level understand this and you can usually pick them out quite easily they're willing to go to an event and try something new in the context of shooting they're willing to go to an event with different caliber, different weight, knowing that they don't know where they're going to land and that it's a benchmark. And whether other people have expectations of them or not, they couldn't give a shit less because they're going out there for their particular reasons. <clears throat> so check it out. I don't talk about my family a lot, but I've got a daughter who's a high-level track athlete. And I think it's really cool how they measure things. Let's say you're going to perform in a 400 meter race and you have a goal down the road 
you don't just try to run that 400-meter race at your targeted race pace because that's just not going to work. You pick a shorter distance, you run at that pace, so your body subconsciously, neurologically can understand how to go at that pace, and then you slowly add in a little more distance until you're capable of going at that. While you're developing your mental toughness and building the strength in the weight room, mental toughness and resilience drills are often carried out by coaches on those lifting days to teach people that your mind quits before your body. It shows you your weaknesses physically and psychologically so that you can develop those off of the playing field such that when you're on the playing field, your mind is focused towards performance and you're not second-guessing that while you've learned those lessons in various aspects surrounding your performance. You need to be able to develop and train your nervous system and your mind and your body to be able to perform as desired on game day. And that, rem that means sacrificing. It means having failure in one area to show you that you're building strength in another. And in shooting, that's very tricky because it's very expensive to go to a match. And that's why I encourage people to go to one-day matches and try all of the little things that they're looking for and figure out those sublit disciplines. If, you know, if you're working on wind, shoot something that you can absolutely make 100% of your shots if you make the right wind call, but not such that it hides your inability to read the wind. If you're working on fundamentals, take a rifle weight that doesn't mask the skill sets that you're working on, but it's not so light that you can't hit anything. So, you know, if you if you normally train with a 24-pound rifle, it doesn't make sense to go to a 10-pound rifle because there might that difference might make your hit percentage go from you know, 80% to 40%. But if you go from a 24-pound rifle to an 18-pound rifle, you might go from 80% to 70%. And when your 70% gets back to 80, then go from 18 to 16 and see if you can keep doing that. But you make those benchmarks such that as you're eliminating those training wheels, you're able to measure that growth rather than jumping from 0 to 100 because you just won't go from running, you know, uh, uh, a 90-second 400 to a 50-second 400 um, because you bought new Nikes or something like that. And you see that in the shooting world. People expect, like, okay, well, you know, I went from my Remington 700 to a custom whatever, spent $7,000, and you went from 50th place to 30th place but you won't climb above 30th place until you develop the skills and the equipment that you have could be masking the skills that you need to work on. To me, this all boils down to mental training. And so let's talk about the mental training component and the ego and how your ego gets wrapped up and it's hard to discriminate between where you want to be and where you are and that fear of failure element is going to hold you back until you address it and deal with it head on.
You need to separate your emotions by focusing on metrics, not comparisons, especially comparisons between you and another shooter, because you could be growing and having your metrics decrease while other people are watching you saying, wow, they're, not, they're, they're, they're getting worse, but in fact, you're getting better. Every single day, coaches remind runners or any athletes to separate from the identification of lateral comparisons to focusing on specific metrics. Focus on your craft number. Focus on your ability to read the wind to a particular mile an hour. Don't focus on what other shooters are doing. Don't focus on who's winning competitions. Focus on your particular skill sets and grow them, and you'll be unbeatable. We're talking about a numbers game, not a comparison game. And so you need to first think about your numbers and grow your numbers regardless of anyone else. Now, separating your ego from that can be very hard. That fear of failure or fear of looking bad around others can be a very, very powerful and overwhelming feeling. And you see that in a lot of sports. For example, in climbing, often I'll go out and a decent climber won't get on a new route because they expect that that grade should be below them, even though it's got skills that'll be above them. And so they'll get on the same things, the familiar things, without risking looking bad around other people, whereas for them to get better, the right thing would be for them to get on things where they'll actually struggle. If you focus on your metrics and slowly, in that 10% rule kind of context, take away the training wheels until you measure growth back to a performance level, and eliminate your flaws that way, measuring only on your own personal metrics, you'll train yourself to identify with those rather than the emotions that you're probably using to compare yourself with now. The funny thing is that emotions and physical responses are intimately connected. I'm going to discuss two things that are seemingly unrelated. One is the cutting edge of neuroscience and research that's identifying the role of physical sensations and thoughts and feelings because you know we think we've got everything figured out in the world of science and yet what's being researched and published now is the direct connection of the physical sensations and our brain's mapping of that to create templates from which we decide how to feel about things that are happening around us. Antonio Damasio is a leader in this research, and he's published a lot, talks about the concept a lot, and essentially my interpretation of the things that he discusses is that our body is this sensory object that takes feelings and processes them, some of which are hardwired, such that we have reactions when we're low on water that drive us to be thirsty, or identify things that create the sensation that we interpret as fear as an evolutionary step to protect us. We later go on to identify 
by attaching particular emotions to those physical sensations based on our own experiences, but those can be different from person to person, such that one person can be motivated and have a positive interpretation of that, another one a negative interpretation of that. I think that's fascinating because it teaches us that we're hardwired to feel and then label, which means that you can relabel feelings in a positive sense towards your particular goals. Now, this isn't new, but in the world of science, it's new in the sense that it's being validated, measured, and confirmed as something that applies to all humans. But people have been talking about this for a very long time. And so I'm going to read a poem by a poet named Rumi that I think identifies this kind of in a way that we could relate to. It's called The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. I think this is a great description of the mental side of any of our goals, such that if you take your personal reaction at face value, you lose the opportunity to take it and identifying it as an opportunity for growth. The other day, I was at a local match testing out a new rifle for some folks nearby. I went up, and it was shooting all right, but it got dirty, and the trigger went out. Well, it turns out those triggers, when they get dirty, they go out. If I was identifying with performance, I would have been very upset. I was concerned because the trigger went out, but had I just stopped and thrown my gear on the ground and complained that I lost the win because X, Y, Z, and I'm embarrassed, and people would have expected me to win, and for all of these other reasons, reinforce the feeling of something external happened, and that let us all down, rather than something happened, and although my body has particular sensations, now rather than identifying negatively with them as got screwed, it's here's an opportunity to learn. What do I need to do to prevent the trigger from getting dirty? What do I, what do I need to learn to fix it very quickly? What does this say about the usability of this weapon system in this environment? And where is my ego in all of this? Because if I do have any of those emotions those aren't directly related to what happened. And so I had a physical response and I need to continue to work on those elements that did come up, like 
I should have, could have, would have has nothing to do with it. And those are personal problems that need to come out. And so with that last little stanza or whatever you call it, be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide. Those feelings that you have and the emotions that you have, they, they aren't necessarily connected other than the link that you've made between the two. And you need to decouple those reactions so that you can say, was I making a good wind call? When the trigger went out, was I steady on target? Was I do everything right? What do I, how do, you know, what, you, you, you essentially take those opportunities and you decouple the negative reactions because the more you reinforce one, the easier it is to repeat. And what you want to learn how to do is to reinforce the one that's going to help you grow rather than the one that's going to hold you back. That reinforcement comes with self-reflection. It comes with understanding that you're going to have those feelings, but how you deal and accept and learn from those feelings has nothing to do with the people around you. Rather, if you're paying any attention to any of those external factors, you will be held back from growth. So you need to look inward at how you can learn, remove, clean, and line back up towards where you are and where your goals are and what needs to bridge that gap from where you are to the goals down the road. Anything that detracts from that is going to prevent you from accomplishing your goals. That's why thinking that the answer to your success is a product or a new caliber or some other external product is flawed thinking. The answer to your goals is taking the metrics of where you are and figuring out how to bridge the gap between that and your desired outcome, being open to learning about what happens along that path and taking in new context and new training ideas from that rather than input from an external source because those external sources typically lead you away from your desired goal rather than helping you towards it. I think that is another upside of a coach is that it's their job to direct you to your goal and remind you when you're deviating from that particular path. Anyway, that's probably enough to think about. And I want you to think about it and see how you can apply those things towards your goals. If you like it, share it with your friends, talk about it. If you feel like spending the amount of a couple drinks of coffee or a couple beers, go to riflecraft.com, start logging your stuff, and subscribe. It helps promote and encourage the growth of this podcast. If you don't like this, thanks for listening anyway.